0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation, live from Studio A in downtown Jersey City, in that great state of New Jersey, right here at the Magic Factory. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm so glad you have chosen to join me, whether you're live or one of those time travelers in the future. Happy to have you. I um, I had an interesting experience over the last week. I had occasion to listen through, not all, not all the way through, but sample through a, a few of episodes of years past. Tectonic episodes. This show has been going since September of 2017. So there's. Listeners know I just passed the 300 episode mark uh, just a few weeks ago, and so there's a bun, there's there's literally hundreds of episodes of Tectonic over the past uh, however many years it's been, and it has it has developed. And first first thing I want to say right off is if you have been listening to the show for some number of years. And maybe there's a few of you who've been listening since the very beginning. I really want to thank you for your patience, <laughs> because I listen to some of these shows from the first—I don't know—I'd say the first, uh, the first three years, let's say. And it's like, eesh, a little crunchy. Still, still finding my sea legs there. But I will say, and and I'm putting this on me. The guests, when you listen to the guests, the guests are are as a rule they are excellent and they're telling us important things I was just still trying to figure out how to run the show which by the way I'm still trying to figure out but I think I've got a little more in hand than I did uh, a few years ago so thank you to the listen longtime listeners for for sticking with me for your patience your forbearance but but the reason I want to bring this up is that going through some of those old conversations you hear some of these guests from years past from years past, saying there is a certain problem or there is a certain way we should look at this particular technology or there is this way that technology could develop um, that could be for for better or for worse. We have to really keep an eye on it. And years later, listening to it now, and you go, man, they were right. They were right on it. They were so right to direct us to think in this way And yet, even though and perhaps Tectonic was not the only show they were on, perhaps they have their own show or they went to, to speak at other places, maybe they wrote articles, most of them have written books, all of the work that these guests have done, this is what I'm trying to get at. The guests have been trying to teach us, to educate us, to guide us to better decisions with technology over the years and look at where we are and 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 week after week i report to you that this large technology company has done this outrageous thing or <coughs> excuse me this um this new trend is being hyped up in ways that are totally irrational and dangerous and more often than not those those developments have they we had warnings years ago and so you think what must it be like for people to issue these warnings and to see society continue on its path of overvaluing technology, making the wrong decisions so often. And that and that brought me to this thought that, you know, here we are in 2024, I'm, I'm recording this live, January 29, 2024. And let me just flip this on you because rather than thinking about the past, the warnings we received in the past from past guests, let's think about the people in the future who are gonna be looking back on us today and evaluating our decisions that we made today. Okay, so let's just, let's give ourselves a clean slate right now. Let's say here we are in January 2024, it's a new year. We have, all of us have some capacity to make decisions you know, honestly, it's really sus- the, the society-wide decisions about adoption of technology, which is what I'm after here. I, I, I'm, I'm realistic that one individual here or there making a change, although important, is, is really not the, the script. What we're after is what are the major decisions that we're facing as a community, as a society, today, in this new year, and how are those decisions about what technology we adopt, what technology we, we choose to place our faith in, what technology we get excited about and, and tell each other about, commit to, how are those decisions going to be evaluated in coming years when people look back on us in 2024? And the in interestingly enough, there was a past guest, Who got me thinking along these lines? Uh, There was a show back in 2022, so not that long ago, a little over a year ago, October 3rd, 2022, I had on the show Douglas Rushkoff, who's an old friend. This, I think, was his second time on the show. And he was talking about his new book at the time called Survival of the Richest, Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires. And I just want to play for you two minutes of that interview—actually, it's, it's the opening two minutes, uh, as it happens—of that conversation with Douglas, because he said something—and Douglas is so—he's <laughs> he's often very thought-provoking and, uh, and, and and makes you think about things in a new way. I really like and respect Douglas. He started with something that is that got me thinking about our decisions, our choices that we're making today. If we think about it from the perspective of people in the future, so I'm going to play this again. This is Douglas Rushkoff, just a couple of minutes long, from the October third, 2022 Tectonic. Here's what he said:
1: You know, we are we are all embedded in an environment where it's very difficult to live as we might want to. So. I was walking with a friend last night and he was a little bit upset about how, you know, the founding fathers are all getting, you know, taken out of history because of their, um, you know, complicity or participation in slavery. And I said, you know, the interesting thing about it to me is, you know, when they look back on us right now, let's say they look at Douglas Rushkoff, this kind of Marxist, anarcho-syndicalist media theorist who nonetheless is using a macintosh computer and we know from his articles on medium that he was fully aware that there was slave labor uh involved in the getting the resources for it and he threw out his old his mac you know pro 100 to get the mac pro 200 he know that went in a toxic waste dump where little south american children are picking over it so isn't he and he bought at at costco we're taking his name off the good guy's list too. I mean, aren't we participating in systems of, of slavery and abuse and pollution and climate? Yes. So it's hard to know, you know, and then you look all the way back, Abraham in the Bible, he had slaves, you know, and and, and that's where the, Isaac came from, Hagar came from. And it's like, well, that's horrible. And we say, oh, well, you know, for the time, that's what they did. And for our time, this is what we do. What if, no, what if... you? Know, it's hard to know how we are complicit and on one on the one hand i don't like that we are being blamed on the consumer level as individuals for everything that's going on in the world um but on the other it's like well where does the buck stop who finally has the high leverage point as as i discovered the billionaires don't think they are are high leverage points in making these decisions so, you know, someone else is going to have to make systemic change.
0: And that, again, was Douglas Rushkoff speaking to me on Tectonic on October 3rd, 2022. And I hope you see why I was excited to to play that excerpt for you, uh, given the theme tonight about making choices, because here's here's Douglas saying this issue of complicity is it's a sticky topic because we can... We can point at someone else and say, look at, look at the choices they made to, to do X, Y, and Z when in future generations they may say, look at Douglas or, or look at Mark using a Mac laptop full of conflict minerals that in, in, involves in some place in the supply chain uh, forced labor, whether in Africa somewhere or we've, we've heard about Apple suppliers um, in China who may or may not be using forced labor. I did a show on that um, with Amelia Pong a couple of years ago. Anyway, the choices we make today are very likely to be judged harshly by future generations. And so you, so you can think, well, you know, what are we supposed to do with technology? What are the choices we're supposed to make with technology? Are we supposed to turn it all off and and go live in a cave? Well, that's that's not very realistic. That's difficult to... To live in the modern world and have a, a, a job and, and so on, uh, healthcare and and to be a part of society. If you're gonna if you're gonna try not to be complicit in anything at all. <clears throat> on the other hand, we do have agency, and to my point before, we're part of a society that is making large changes, large decisions, large choices about technology right now in 2024 that's going to set us on a new path. And so this is all to say there are no easy answers. I don't see this as a Manichaean, you know, good versus bad. Uh, But I think it's worth worth working on our powers of discernment to look at the available choices we have and to think, is this the path we want to be on? And I want to give you an example um, because... Uh, this and I, I, I want to uh, pull on. I want to refer to. I'm not going to play an expert, but I want to refer to another recent interview, which is going to which is going to tee this up. Back on December 11, uh, last month, December 11, 2023, I spoke with Guillaume Pitron, who is a French journalist who wrote a book called The Dark Cloud, which was um, talking about the environmental impact of digital technology. And this I think is gonna be a series of choices that will be likely judged fairly harshly by future generations when they look back and say, you did what? You cho- you chose what? <laughs> you you chose what now? Uh because as I said, and by the way, all of these links are on the playlist. If you go to wfmu.org, click playlist and comments, you can see I've I've put these links here, and there's a link to the show with Guillaume Petron that has, I don't know, 10 or 12 links to articles. So you can go deep. I've put the resources out there. You can do the research, you can do the reading, um, and you can see what you think. But I just want to give you a, uh, a couple of little factoids that I got from two of the sources that I linked on that playlist. Um, one, and again, I'm just reading, reading uh, the excerpt from, reading the quote from the story, which you can see on the playlist. Quote, a 20, excuse me, Talking about ChatGPT, this, this open AI chatbot that everyone's using now. Quote A 20 question conversation with ChatGPT equates to half a liter of water use, about the size of a water bottle. Okay, so think th- what they're saying is when you go to ChatGPT and you type in, you start typing questions uh, Can you write me a limerick? Um, what did you think about the Great Gatsby? Um, how do you build a house with cinder blocks in Arizona or whatever weird question you want to ask. You ask 20 of those questions and the energy usage, the energy and water usage really starts to add up. The water being important uh, because you're, you're cooling, the water needs to cool the computers at the data center wherever it is in the cloud that OpenAI is using in order to draw on these massive resources, computational resources, to extrude out this, this string of text, which may or may not be accurate, but look, you know, you, here's your limerick, and this is what you wanted, so we spent all of this energy and all this water in order to deliver you this. So 20-question 20 conversa- 20 conversation with ChatGPT is a bottle of water. Uh, which you may think, well, that's yeah, that's not much, just a bottle of water. You know, you know the, I, I'm not going to get into the whole rabbit hole right now. But again, read, read the resources on that Guillaume Patron playlist because you'll see that there are some places in the U.S. that are starting to go dry because the data center, the big tech data centers are starting to suck down all of the clean water, the clean drinking water clean water that could be used for drinking, cooking, bathing, and so on. No, we're using it to to cool computers so that people can ask ChatGPT to write them a limerick. Okay, here's the other one. Creating, this is about image creation. And image creation is also very energy and resource intensive. This is where people say, draw me a picture of I don't know, an elephant on a beach. And it goes, and it you know, it it looks at all of the images in its database and mashes them up like one giant Play-Doh extruder and just pushes it out. There's your elephant on a beach. And this is what the... This source was a Gizmodo article. Quote, creating images with ChatGPT's Dali and another generator called MidJourney may produce more carbon than driving four miles. Okay, so... Take your car, your SUV, your whatever, and drive two miles to the store and all the way home. The carbon that got spat out of the exhaust pipe is maybe, as Gizmodo is saying, roughly equivalent to the amount of carbon that gets pumped into the air because of the energy usage it took to draw that elephant on a beach. And again, you could say, what's a bottle of water? What's driving four miles you know, I drink a bottle of water every day. I drink, I, I drive four miles, much more than four miles on my daily commute. That's not the point. My point is not to, <laughs> to cast dispersions on your on your daily habits. Just say, look at this horrible water bottle. No, no, no. I want you to think about the massive amount of usage that these chatbots and generative AI uh, systems are, are, are getting every single day. Millions of people are using these things there. We, we can't even imagine how many conversations, how many questions chat GPT is serving up every day and the water gets sucked down and, and the amount of energy usage that people use to generate images every day and the carbon gets put in the air. And so we have an issue here. There's a couple of issues. Well, there's so many issues, but let me just list two of the issues. This this choice that we are making, to bring it back to choices, the choice that we are making as a society to develop and deploy and get excited about these generative AI systems. AI, oh my goodness, everything is AI. My toaster has AI, people say. My vacuum has AI. I mean, what's next? I wanna I want a paperclip with AI. Well, paperclip is a bad example. I want a I want a paper towel with AI inside. What is not claiming to have AI inside these days? It's just—it's—it's it's crazy. Anyway, we're making this society-wide choice to dive headlong into generative AI systems, and it, it, it's bringing up immediately two big issues. One of one of them is the energy and resource usage, at which which causes environmental degradation. Okay, so we have places in the U.S. going dry. As I said, there's, there's water, there's scarce water already in many places, and we are handing it over to the big tech data centers. We're pumping more and more carbon into the atmosphere, speeding up climate change, and making uh, mitigation uh, efforts much harder uh, because of the energy usage of these systems, that's one. Uh, and so, the the energy that goes in um, is causing an environmental issue that is is going to grow worse over the years. Um, let me move on to. Let me move on to what. Sam Altman said, because Sam Altman is going to refer to the second major issue. Um, Sam Altman, of course, is CEO of OpenAI, which is the company behind ChatGPT and DALI, and is known to be the leader. And the issue that Sam Altman is finally having to contend with is the second major issue, apart from the environmental destruction I was talking about before, the second issue is we don't have enough energy available to meet the demands of these data centers these data centers as we talked about with Guillaume Petron are are being installed at an exponential rate their energy usage usage is going up at an exponential rate you know we thought it was bad 2 years ago when when the bitcoin farmers were using as much energy as Uh, a a Scandinavian country. Well, now we've got the entire world falling in love with these AI systems. Everything is AI, and we don't have, we can't, even if we wanted to pump the entire atmosphere full of carbon, which I'm sure Altman would would be okay with, um, we simply don't have the energy infrastructure to keep up with the demand. So here those are, the, those are the twin issues that I wanted to bring up to you. This choice to, to go headlong into AI has brought up the possible environmental destruction due to energy and, and water usage. And two, the, the amount of energy that we are taxing the grid with, the, the needs of these AI systems are taxing the energy grid past its capacity so what do you do with this problem and sam altman took this question at davos he was at the world economic forum this is the place this is a guy named klaus schwab runs this fancy conference where uh, ceos and heads of state from all over the world convene in january um in in davos switzerland every year and they have they have uh conference panels where people Talk about whatever the, the new hype uh, trends are. And then there are backroom discussions where people are, are making very, very important decisions <laughs> that we're not privy to. So, at one of the public conversations, Sam Altman, you know, everybody wanted to uh, talk with Sam Altman and give him lots of press because he's open AI is the flavor of the month right now. And someone asked him uh, what he thought about the rising energy demands of ai which chat of which chat gpt is is quite a bit and so i want to read you i want to read you there's this great reuters story from january 16 that with the headline <coughs> excuse me with the headline open ai ceo altman says at davos future ai depends on Fill in the blank. I'm going to tell you in a second. I'm going to. That's going to be the punchline. So future AI depends on what does it depend on, Sam? Um, so OpenAI CEO Sam Altman on Tuesday said, "Fill in the blank." I'll tell you is necessary for future artificial intelligence. Speaking at a Bloomberg event on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum, Altman said the silver lining. Let me just tell you what he said. Okay. So the problem is environmental destruction and there's not enough energy. And what Sam Altman said is I'm gonna give you a direct quote what he said at this Bloomberg event. Sam Altman said, here's how we're, we're, we're gonna make it into the future with AI. Quote, there's no way to get there without a breakthrough. Without a breakthrough, what kind of breakthrough? Altman continues, it motivates us to go invest more in fusion Say what now? Fusion. What kind of fusion? Sam Altman is saying, we don't have enough energy to meet the demands of my platform. And so rather than thinking about ways to manage the growth of my platform so that it doesn't eat the energy grid, instead, he says, there's no way to get there unless we have a breakthrough. And I'm hoping for a breakthrough in nuclear fusion. Sam Altman is saying, we're going to need to develop a kind of energy that has never been launched at a large scale ever. Even though people have been talking about nuclear fusion for years and years and promising it's just around the corner and never actually delivering it, now we've got to do it. So basically Altman is saying, we'd better, we as a society had better choose to develop nuclear fusion so that my platform can have enough energy to gobble down or else I don't know what's gonna happen. Wow, so that's the choice. When looking at the problem of environment and, and, and energy grid, what we say is, let's develop more. Let's develop more energy and let's hope that we can have a breakthrough using a an energy source that we have never been able to make work before because any other choice available to us like a more reasonable growth path or god forbid we actually stop growing for a minute so that everybody can catch up or we think about why we're doing this no 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 our choice is to invest in nuclear fusion it's just amazing it's amazing the thought process Of some of these leaders and uh as douglas rushkoff alluded to in his in his excerpt the billionaires are not taking responsibility for these problems even though they're the ones who are at the helm as these problems are being created in their companies and platforms no douglas's book that i talked about before uh survival of the richest talks about how the a set of billionaires asked him at a small conference Uh, where they should build their doomsday bunkers. That was what they wanted his guidance on, not on how to create a more just economy or how to mitigate climate change or how to build schools, hospitals, and roads. No, no, no. It's where should we build our doomsday bunkers so that we can ride out the apocalypse that our companies helped fuel. That was their choice. And similarly, Sam Altman is saying, my choice is not to slow down at all. My choice is to accelerate the growth, growth at any cost of open AI, and I want the rest of you, the rest of society, to develop nuclear fusion. And thanks in advance. The arrogance is, the arrogance and the cluelessness is, um, is just, it's, it's breathtaking, really. And this is the one, this is the person that everybody at Davos wanted to talk to, interview, hype up uh boy it's the leaders of today friends but i want to give you uh i want to i want to change gears here i want to give you a different uh a a different actually you know what i want to do <laughs> i want to take a um a palate cleanser break which um will will segue into the next section which is uh, going to be a little bit uh, better news than than what this has been this, um, I'm going to play you a couple of minutes of a comedy routine by Sam Morrill, who's a New York-based uh, comedian, um, up-and-coming guy who's, who's doing real well. And it's um, uh, thanks to my friend DJ Irwin Chucid for pointing this out to me. Uh, Sam Morrill, during his uh, comedy routine, says something very amusing about social media. First, he, he's going to talk about TikTok. And uh, I guess we could say our choices when we choose to use our time on TikTok. And then he's going to say something about a choice that Mark Zuckerberg made around Facebook. So two choices. One choice is from the users and one choice from a tech billionaire. So here's Sam Morrill. And again, thanks to Erwin Chusett for this.
2: It's good you came out, you know. It's good to stay off the social media. It's poison. I mean, I'm on it, but it's not good. And uh TikTok is, is crack, that stuff. It's not good for you. You know the feeling when you put down a book and you're like, ah. Whenever I get off TikTok, it's the exact opposite feeling. I, I'm on there for 20 minutes, I get off, and I'm like, what just happened? That wasn't good. And they get this algorithm that's for you, so it hooks you, it's whatever you like, it keeps you on. Apparently, what I like is uh, men eating sandwiches. That's, that's what I like. They just keep, usually in a car of some sort. <laughs> they often rate the sandwich. I get a lot of dudes just in a car, like, we're gonna see if Wendy's fast food is overrated or underrated. Then you just watch. <laughs> Properly rated. <am> I? <laughs> That's all he does? 19 million views? I'm working pretty hard on my act over here. Who's watching this? <laughs> then he's like, next up, dominoes. And I'm like, I do wanna see how it's rated. Honestly, huh? <laughs> I don't. I understand the appeal. <laughs> TikTok, Facebook, and you know, or Meta. I'm sorry, they're Meta now. They changed. Like, we're supposed to forget all the horrible things they've done to all of us, <laughs> the stealing our data. They're like, we're Meta. That was. That wasn't us who met it now. It's like if Bill Cosby was like, call me William. I'm actually. Yeah, you can. You can trust me. It's William.
0: And that again was Sam Morrill talking about uh, TikTok and then Facebook. So (laughs) he's chosen to spend some time on on, uh, TikTok, men eating sandwiches. Uh, And then and then Uh, Facebook, you know, Zuckerberg looks at all of the problems that Facebook has caused and enabled and been complicit in over the years. And he goes, yeah, let's let's change the name of the company. No one no one will uh, no one will notice that it's the same group. Um, So this is this is a segue to a better um, a a better set of news, I guess we could say, for technology, which is that there are some people pushing back. There are people saying, you know what, I don't want to watch men eating sandwiches on TikTok anymore. Um, I do know what happened at Meta, and I'm not forgetting, uh, there are people who are gaining this awareness and, are, and who are making better choices. So this is a flip side of what Sam Altman was um, was was suggesting for us. There is a boarding school in Massachusetts. Its name is Buxton. And they made a really interesting policy change not long ago when they banned smartphones, a total and complete ban on smartphones within the boarding school. And I guess they can do this because the students live on site as a boarding school. And so they don't have to police backpacks coming in and out every single day. They can just say on property here at buxton no smartphones ever the end now the students do have digital devices for communication for phones and for texting for phone calls and texting and what they did is buxton gave all the students light phones and people uh, who've been listening to the show long enough will remember i interviewed joe hollier back in uh, december of 2019 who's the co-founder of the light phone we had a good, it was a live in-studio conversation, and I have always been uh, impressed with the light phone, and I'm glad to see that it's still thriving. And so now there's this boarding school that has, um, contrary to people's prediction, that you, you, can't, you can't take away smartphones from young people. They actually did it, and the kids, uh, far from freaking out, they're actually doing better now. And yes, there have been some complaints Uh, But as the uh, – there's a Guardian piece from January 17 talking about what happened at Buxton. And the Guardian piece says, most everyone agrees that the school is better off without the HELL devices, by which they mean the iPhones and Android uh, surveillance devices. And, yes, that includes students, you know, who agree that it's better off. There are fewer interruptions during class, more meaningful interactions around campus. And less time spent on screens, and they they talked to a, a teacher and a student, and they're basically saying the same thing. Like it was it was a little strange, it was a little difficult, but I got used to it. And now looking back, I think this is a better way to live. They even talk about how there's a photography class where kids are actually using real cameras and learning how to take and develop photos. <laughs> now that they don't have cameras because the Light Phone doesn't have a camera on it, so. There was a school that made a choice, we are going to relate to technology better. And in future years, I think people are going to evaluate Buxton's decision a lot better than some other decisions that we see in society today. Uh, Derek Thompson in The Atlantic on December 19, just a few weeks ago, uh, did a survey of some research of how smartphones affect students. Okay, so this would feed into, maybe it fed into the decision at Buxton, I don't know. Derek Thompson writes, students who spend less than one hour of leisure time on digital devices a day at school scored about 50 points higher in math than students whose eyes are glued to their screens more than five hours a day. This gap held even after adjusting for socioeconomic factors. Okay, so there is you know, perhaps a causal, I would think there's some causality there, not just correlation. There is a significant uh, point difference, at least in math, it was what the researchers were focusing on for kids who use their smartphone very little versus uh, over five hours a day. Second, Derek Thompson says, screens seem to create a general distraction throughout school, even for students who aren't looking at them. In some students who spend more time staring at their phone do worse in school, they distract other students around them, and they feel worse about their life. Okay, so what is, what could we do with this data? Now we have research, and this is hardly the only research that points to this kind of finding, saying, you know, students would do better at school without uh, so much access to smartphones. And then we see that one boarding school has already banned smartphones and they're seeing the results right away. What could we do in society that could use the research and the example of Buxton to make better decisions? What, uh, what, could, we, what could we suggest that schools, school districts do? What could we do within our own communities that might in future years, when we look back, we might be able to say, you know what, I'm glad in 2024 we made that change, that we made that decision. Because the tech industry, of course, is going to be encouraging all of us to go in the exact opposite direction. Okay, so I don't know if, if you've seen the playlist yet, but if you go to wfmu.org, click playlist and comments, you'll see a, an image top, top and center. Uh, On the playlist. And by the way, if you're listening in the future, you can go to Tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H tonic.fm, and click the playlist link for the January 29, 2024 show. And you can see the playlist image there. It's a a little meme image, which I find very amusing. It's um, a screen grab of one of Apple's promotional videos of their upcoming Vision Pro launch, which is happening this Friday, February 2nd, Apple has made a big deal about their their new VR headset. They're gonna be launching it. You're gonna see sycophantic press accounts about, oh, it was so innovative and so wonderful, and they're sleek, and I was flying through space, and then I did this and that. You're gonna see all of those from the uh, corporate-friendly tech media. There's also gonna be some criticism from some other commentators, yes, Uh, but I think most of the coverage that you're gonna see is gonna be very uh, excited about this this new age, this new era in computation thanks to Apple. the The message of this launch on Friday is that Apple wants you to adopt yet more technology that cuts you off even more from the world than you were before. They're gonna want you to strap this thing on your face, this face-mounted surveillance device, and lose yourself in a corporate filtered environment uh, for hours on end. You thought that it was, it might've been enough that we have school kids already glued to their screens, their iPhones for hours a day. That's not enough. Apple wants more. Just like Sam Altman at OpenAI wants more. You know, These, these AI engines use too much energy, give me more. Apple iPhones are already being used too much by students. Let's give them a Vision Pro. We want more time. More, more. We need more. Apple is saying we need more. Growth, 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 as Ben Grosser's uh, redaction of Mark Andreessen's Techno Optimist Manifesto said. So that's going to be the overriding message that you're going to hear on Friday. Apple wants you to dive in more to their new technology and pay more and spend more time in their new technology than you have already in the iPhones. On the other side, you have the, com- the, the completely different, the diametrically opposed choice that Buxton made. Less, not even less time on smartphones, zero. We're taking it to zero. We're gonna give them a light phone that gives them enough connectivity to text with, with their parents or whatever, whatever they need or make a phone call. But other than that, no, no smartphones, no apps, no social media, no time on the screen, none. And and there is our there's our choice. There's the fork in the road. Do you want to spend more and more and more time? Do you want to encourage your kids, your family, your friends, your community, your organization to spend more and more and more and more and more and more and more into the big tech uh, in, in, what, what big tech needs for engagement, or are you going to take the path of Buxton, and go less, 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 actually zero, actually zero, not at all? We're going to decline. We're going to reject this. That's our. Cho- that's going to be our choice this year, and not just in terms of this this vision, this ridiculous Vision Pro thing. A, a lot of a lot of things uh, that are coming at us, much like you know, ChatGPT. Sam Altman says, I want more. I want more energy, more energy, more water, more data centers. I want you to use it more. Where are the people going to be that say, actually, we, we, we might be able to use it less. Maybe we want to take it to zero. Maybe there's something we could use ChatGPT GPT for. Maybe It's not terrible, but maybe we use it less, 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 less. Um, that's, the, that's the choice in front of us when we get to some of these new devices. All right, there's one last choice, that I'm, choice type that i want to talk about. And this I want to say thanks to uh, listener DJ Lorraine, who I think is on the comment board uh, this evening. Last fall, I think it was all the way back in November, DJ Lorraine sent me an email. There's a My email, if anybody wants to email me a story clip or whatever, my email is mark at wfmu.org. That's mark at wfmu.org. But if you go to the playlist, there's a little link you can uh, click to send me an email through the uh, FMU website. Either way, it gets to me. So one way or another, DJ Lorraine sent me this email in November. And she said, I don't know if you've heard anything about this situation uh, with the British post office. But it seems like something you might want to cover on the show. And I thought, British post office? I haven't heard anything about this. Now, I apologize to my listeners In the uk i'm sure you've heard plenty about this scandal so i'm sorry that i'm a little bit late to the party but i have done some reading on this and i want to share it with listeners uh, because again it it gets to the power and the importance of making the right choices when technology is involved and this is one where it's more of an ethical choice there is a right and wrong choice here and it may be difficult to make the right choice but the, the lines are pretty pretty starkly drawn uh, around what, how, to, how to work with technology and how to react to technology. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking in abstractions here. So let me tell you what happened. There's a company called Fujitsu. I'm sure you've, you've heard of it. Uh, Fujitsu, they have made copiers and other office equipment. They write software, and it's like business, a bunch of business technology. And Fujitsu sold some software to the British post office that was uh, supposed to help the accounting for the branch post offices around the country. And it's just like, as far as I understand, it's like the U.S. Postal Service. We have branch offices all over the place here. And I'm sure there is some accounting system that, you know, here's how many people... (laughs) Sent packages and bought stamps, and here's what our expenses were, and so on. So Fujitsu had accounting software being used by the British Post Office, and uh, for a for a, a number of years, and I mean for over ten years. So there's a there's a time range from 1999 to 2015. There was a problem with that software. The problem was that the software was faulty and it wasn't properly counting up the numbers of the income and expenses, you know, pretty basic thing that accounting software has to do. And the numbers that came off of that accounting software got rolled up into headquarters and they're looking at the reports of these branch offices. And what do you know? The Fujitsu software is showing that there's money missing from all of these different branch offices of the British post office. And that can only mean one thing. If software is telling you that the numbers don't add up and there must be money money missing, that must mean that there is a giant problem throughout the British post office where we have sub-postmasters and postmistresses who are stealing It must be theft. It must be fraud. Hundreds of them all over the country. Can you believe it? There is an epidemic of postal employees stealing from their own branch offices. Okay, so uh, spoiler alert, nobody was stealing. There was no theft. There was no fraud. These people were all innocent. And we're talking about hundreds. Let me just say 900, 900 sub-postmasters and postmistresses within the British post office. So 900 of these people, honest, hardworking, loyal employees of the British post office were officially accused of theft or fraud. And then many of them started being sent to prison. Now, I told you that the money didn't add up in the accounting software but i also told you that no one stole anything so what was the problem have you guessed what the problem is if you're british i'm sure you've <laughs> you know all about this but for americans like me who are new new to this story the problem was the fujitsu software the fujitsu accounting software had a bug or maybe multiple bugs it was faulty it was generating the wrong numbers it was inaccurate. the output was inaccurate But here's the twist, okay? Here's the This is where it gets... We've heard about bad software. I mean, half the shows that I've ever done have something to do with bad software. So this is nothing new to Tectonic. Of course the software was bad. (laughs) Fujitsu made some bad software. The twist is something different, though. The twist is Fujitsu knew that the software was bad. And it wasn't just Fujitsu. You know who else knew the software was bad? The British Post Office. Senior leadership at the British Post Office knew that the software was delivering faulty results. And so what did they do? They, were, they had a choice, okay? Your senior leadership at the British Post Office, and the report comes, somebody tells you, or if you find out, however, the Fujitsu software is faulty, all the all the numbers not adding up at the branch offices, it's because of bad software. And you know what senior leadership did? They said, "Don't tell anybody about this report. Let's keep sending these people to prison." Can you even conceive of that? And you know why they said that? Because they wanted to save face. Oh, we don't want to we don't want to be embarrassed that uh uh, we, and when I say we, I mean both Fujitsu and the British Post Office senior leadership. We don't want to be embarrassed that we're working with faulty software here. I mean, come on. That'll make us look bad. So let, why don't we go ahead and send another 100 people, 100 innocent people to prison? Just amazing. So there was, a, there's a woman named Paula Venels. This is the Paula Venels. Uh, DJ Lorraine pointed me to her story. And so from Wikipedia, uh, Venels was the CEO of the British Post Office during the latter part of the scandal. This took place during 19, between 1999 and 2015. Can you imagine? This went on for 16 years. It involved over 900 sub-postmasters being wrongly convicted of theft, false accounting, and fraud. And uh, due to errors in the Horizon accounting software. In 2013, Vennels hired forensic accounting firm Second Sight, headed up by so-and-so to investigate the software losses. This guy discovered, this guy at Second Sight discovered the system was flawed, but Vennels was unhappy with the report and terminated his contract. Un- unbelievable. Now, Venels is in heaps of trouble. She has resigned her post. She was she, was, uh, she had different awards and things. She's returning them. I mean, I think it's really hit the fan. And so it's all out in the open, and there's a lot of coverage online. And I hope I have done justice to at least the broad contours of the story. I'm not going to get into all of the details. Someone who's I should have a guest on who could uh, actually speak from a position of expertise. I'm just a I'm just a generalist who's doing my best to, to describe this to you. But the reason I'm spending time on this post office scandal is because the senior leadership at the British Post Office had a decision. And this is the decision that many people are facing today. If you look at it from the right angle, here's the, here's the decision. You're in charge of software. You're in charge of some kind of technology platform. You discover that the technology platform is doing something bad. Do you, A, address the problem that the technology is causing? Or, B, do you deflect, deny, lie, sweep it under the rug, and try to distract people with something else and let someone else take the fall? I don't know. What a choice, right? A address the problem that technology is causing, or B, let somebody else experience the problems of not dealing with the, pro- of, of the technology. And so you, if, if you apply that decision to, let's say, the growth at any cost approach to Silicon Valley, or the rising energy and water usage of our AI models and and data centers? A, do we address the problem? Or B, do we say, let's believe in a miracle of nuclear fusion and let the environmental destruction continue? And friends, you already know the decision that Silicon Valley leadership has made. They will not change. They will not change. But you and I, we can at least in our little corner, we can make the better decision. Just like Buxton did, you can buck this, buck Buxton, buck the system. And they said, we're not going to have smartphones. If there's a problem with technology, meaning kids are performing less well in school and they're and they're having all of these social and and emotional issues, we're going to address that problem. We're going to take away the smartphones, rather than saying. Let's have more technology, more VR headsets, and more, and let someone else deal with the problem. You see, we can make better choices in 2024. The last thing I want to bring up is just a, a little stinger of an article <coughs> that just came out yesterday in Forbes. The headline is, Google Update Reveals AI Will Read All Your Private Messages. So Google has its own AI engine called Bard because everybody, all the big tech companies, they don't want to be left out, so they all have their uh, little AI chatbot. Google's uh, chatbot is Bard. It's had a pretty checkered history already. You can read up on that, the problems with Bard. But now Google says, according to Forbes, quote, Bard will analyze the private content of messages, this is to say, on your Android surveillance device, Google's AI a uh, barred chatbot is going to read your private messages to quote, understand the context of your conversations, your tone, and your interests. And this is all to quote, and this is quoting Google to tailor its responses to your mood and vibe and quote, analyze your message history with different contexts to understand your relationship dynamics to personalize responses based on who you're talking to. <laughs> really Google, you're gonna go that far. Okay, I'm, I, why am I even surprised? I'm surprised that I would even be surprised. Of course Google is going to do this. Do you understand friends? When you use an Android smartphone, you are holding a surveillance device in your hand that is being run by the world's premier surveillance company. So, of course, they're going to put their new shiny toxic sludge factory called BARD to the task of reading your private messages so that it can train its AI in new, even more toxic ways. I mean, you just want to say, Google, keep it classy. You just, you never let us down, Google. You just, you. do they have a war room somewhere where they have a whiteboard, which is like there's a, there's a headline tops, like, just put the worst possible ideas that you can possibly conceive of, and we're going to get to them as, as fast as we can. And someone 18 months ago said, what if we had an AI read people's quote-unquote private messages, you know, to tailor the vibe? Someone says, you know, that's really awful. That is a really terrible idea. We're going to get right on that because we're Google. Uh, so, <coughs> excuse me, it's about time for me to give you your homework. Because um, I'm just about out of time. I do first want to remind you that you are listening to the greatest radio station in the world to WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County, 901.9 FM, and online at WFMU.org. And until next time, friends, here's your homework. Here's what I want you to do avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google. And really, friends, get off Google. And I, th- I think you know why now. And I want you to stay tuned for the great Dave Mandel, to whom no one can hold a candle, who's going to be up with another great episode of It's Complicated. It's this prog rock show. And I want to play this uh, outro track that's by a listener. It's by a listener, Haley, um, who is a member of the band Hyperlink Dream Sync. Sorry, Hyperlink Dream Sync, S-Y-N-C. And they've got a new... Track out called "Unseen," which is partly inspired by some of the themes we uh, cover on Tectonic. So let's hit, let's hear "Unseen" as we go out, and I'll look forward to talking with you again next week. Have a good one, everybody.
3: And hello, everybody. I'm back after a two-week layoff, one week intentional, the other, (laughs) one planned and one unplanned. And I'm very happy to be back, thrilled to be back. I'm really sorry to have missed two shows. It feels like an eternity, two weeks. It's like um, 14 weeks in dog years. But I'm really thrilled to be here tonight, always and we're gonna dive in now i, I believe the, some the internal deal, dealing with some internal business here but I, I i think there's some kind of problem with the uh, internet connection here i have to investigate but that gives me an opportunity to play a cd a physical artifact here that requires no internet connection it's, it's like one of two cds i have with me so let's hope that Internet situation gets straightened out here, but anyway, you don't need to deal with all that stuff. I'm going to play a CD, but I'm going to say first that this is this show is called "It's Complicated," and I'm your host, Dave Mandel. I'm here usually Monday evenings from seven to eight p.m. It's an hour of Prague and Prague adjacent music, and always just delighted to play the tunes for you. I'm going to start with a track from this. CD that just kind of surfaced in my apartment the other day. I'd kind of forgotten about it. It's a collection that was released in, I'm going to say, the late 80s. I'm desperately looking for a year here. I, I think late 80s. And it was released on the recommended records, well, the, the I think, Swiss or the German division of the recommended records label. I've mentioned recommended many times on this show excellent label founded by Chris Cutler and home to home to a lot of the music I play on this show. This this is a, a collection again put out by I think the German branch of Recommended Records. And it's a compilation called A Classic Guide to No Man's Land. No Man's Land being the the name, the sort of sub title, <laughs> company name of, of recommended Germany. A Classic Guide to No Man's Land. Really great stuff on this disc, including Dr. Nerve, Etron Fu, Skeleton Crew, Orthotonics, David Garland, Biota. I'm going to play something that's kind of unlikely, and it is a track by Guy klusevic who is a, is an accordion player, not, not generally considered the most proggish of instruments, but... How Wrong You Would Be If You Thought That. This is a pretty pretty proggy song in a uh, very complicated series of rhythms. Guy Klucevic. this is uh, going to be a piece called Samba D. Hiccup, again from the collection A Classic Guide to No Man's Land.